Welcome to Leveraged Lifestyle, the podcast that shares with you the mindset and skill set it takes for you to create your ideal leveraged lifestyle, whatever that might look like for you. Please welcome your host, entrepreneur, world record holder and globetrotter, Catherine Turner. So my name is Catherine Turner. Welcome to the Leveraged Lifestyle. It is a live recording in front of PPN Knightsbridge. We are excited to be in London. We have a fantastic panel of guests in front of us. We have the fantastic Alex Zabatowski, my uh, fantastic... It's that you stumbled on the first name. I know, I know. (laughs) We're we're, we're doing well here. Uh, We've got my lovely business partner and also husband, Stephen Turner, and uh, Art McCann as well, uh, essay expert as well. So I'm going to let them all introduce themselves in just a moment. We've got some fantastic, uh, well, I hope some fantastic questions that you're all going to enjoy. Uh, get some nuggets out of them, how they're living their ultimate leveraged lifestyle, how they've built it, the mindset, the skill set behind it. And, uh, and then it's over to the live audience to ask their questions as well. So uh, without further ado, Alex, would you like to start? Introduce yourself. Up to you. <laughs> hey, guys. Good evening. So my name's Alex Sepatowski. You kind of say it like spare house key, (laughs) Sepatowski. Alex is a lot easier. Um, So I started in property in 2012. Has anyone read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah, Yeah, so I I was at uni, um, you know, on the full student grant, didn't come from kind of loads of of money and read the book and was like, you know, that that worked, that's pretty cool. So then um, ran to the back of the room at Progressive, signed up, took out credit cards, spent my student loan, and um, kind of just did what I was told, really. Um, the amazing thing about property is it works, right? Pick your strategy, they all work. Do what you're told and you get the results. So within the first two years, um, bought 20 properties. Um, that's grown from there. And yeah, I love buying and developing houses, but I love even more the, the training and the mentoring stuff. Um, so just got back from a few months abroad, kind of just chilling out. And then I got connected to, yes, it's fun to sit on the beach, but actually, what do I want my life to be about? And it sounds a bit cheesy, but helping other people smash their goals um, lights me up. So we've got a few of the men- uh, mentees here tonight. And um, yeah, so that's what I do now. It's just a lot more training and mentoring. Fantastic. Thanks, Alex. Over to Stephen. I know what he does, but I'll let him tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so I'm uh, Steve Turner. Um, I run three businesses uh, with my wife, Catherine. Uh, we've got a serviced accommodation business, mainly across Essex, uh, but going into Kent. So we've got... Uh, a mixture of bought, bought, rent to rent and managed. Uh, We've got an e-commerce business and a business education business. Um, And we run that while mainly spending the time with our little one and expecting another little one. So (laughs) I specialize in systemizing and outsourcing as much of the business as possible. um, So I can do very little. Um, (laughs) I used to be an accountant for 13 years, but yeah, property in these businesses got me out of the day job. And, yeah, that's where I am here. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. And Ahmed, last cool. but not least. Uh, so, hi, guys. My name is Ahmed. Uh, kind of similar to Alex, I started doing this after university. So, I graduated not too long ago, uh, around September 2016. Uh, left uni, wasn't entirely sure what to do, but the one thing I was sure about was I didn't want to get a job. Um, started doing property, uh, then got involved with service accommodation. Currently, we have 17. And uh, it's, to me, it's really about getting the correct systems in place so you're not doing too much. And there's a, um, so you can put in the correct systems, automation softwares, so everything runs for you as opposed to you running around all the time. Uh, I've never worked in my life. I've actually, I was telling someone else, I worked seven hours at Burger King. That's my work experience. They, they hired me and fired me on the same day. It was bizarre. Um, 
And yeah, so I finished university, got involved with this, and kind of just stayed connected with everyone else, and just got from there, really. So that's me. Great stuff. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go straight into it. The podcast is, of course, called Leveraged Lifestyle. And so I like to find out from all my guests who come on the podcast, what does living a leveraged lifestyle mean to you? And Alex, we might as well start with you. So I don't think I've got anything groundbreaking to tell you here, but for me, just a leveraged lifestyle is doing, you know, having the freedom of income, choice and time. So doing whatever you want, uh, irrespective of, of the paycheck. You know, the money's cool, right? But it's not about the money. It's about what that enables you to do with your life. Um, and yeah, I'm not needing to, needing to work for it. And what, and what are you doing with your life instead of working for the money? So for me, it's living a life I love. So for me, that's traveling, that's adventure, that's you know, seeing the world, and it's making a difference to other people through you know, helping them achieve their financial goals. Initially, it was all about me. <laughs> and then I kind of got to a point where I realized that, you know, it's, more, it's not about me anymore. Love it. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, Stephen. very similar to Alex. Um, so leverage lifestyle to, uh, to us is a financially free, time free and location free. And it's kind of hitting all three of those to be like um, to work when you want, how little or how often you want and uh, well, where and when. Um, and that just gives us the time to travel um, and spend spend as much time with, with family as, as possible. And that's that's what we do it for. Love it. And now uh, to me, it's about not doing much, I suppose. But <laughs> uh, simply, I, I basically I hate doing the same thing twice. So, for example, you know, with service accommodation, there's a lot of things which happen on a daily basis because there's a lot of churn. Uh, so, to me, it's about how do you eliminate the things which you don't want to do. Uh, I don't necessarily <coughs> mind working. I'm not a lifestyle entrepreneur, but I just don't like doing the same tedious things again and again. And that's what it allows me to do. Love that. Love that. Uh, so I'm going to go in reverse order. Um, in terms of this lifestyle goal or this leveraged lifestyle goal, was this always the goal from the beginning? And if it wasn't, what was it that made you start your business? So Ahmed, if you start. Um, it, it wasn't always the business goal. Once I got into service accommodation, I knew it was very important to get everything automated. Uh, so right now, I can pretty much do anything off an iPhone. So it wasn't a business goal per se, but it's, it's more so when I got involved with this particular business, I knew it was very important. Uh, and and that's, how, you know, that's how I sort of got into it. Stephen? Uh, yeah, definitely not the, <clears throat> the aim at the start. Uh, the aim at the start was just to create a business. Um, and then kind of as soon as the business became a full-time job for me and for us, it was kind of that's when it clicked to go like, well, okay, we've done, we're not doing something correct here. We need to be leveraging more so rather than the goal of just being a business and getting the finance we need it needed it need it shifted to a lifestyle and and yeah leverage businesses businesses yeah and alex can I ask a question again so uh if that wasn't the goal at the very beginning creating this kind of lifestyle and you kind of already said it probably wasn't what was it that made you start your business i'm just going to stand up so i can see everyone at the back so for me um you know, we all have a story, right? Um, not going to go into a sob story, but I didn't grow up with very much. So for me, my initial goal was security. I thought that's what I was shooting towards. It was actually like a negative value. I never wanted to be in that position again. And that kind of pain was a motivator, but it got to the point where there's never enough security. 
There's all, you know, okay, you've got X number of houses, then it's a different strategy, then it's a different asset class or, a, you know, a different country. There's no end to that kind of fear. So yes, you can achieve things, but for me, uh, it shifted to them, rather than freedom and security, it was freedom and fun is what I want. Freedom and fun, security and, you know, income flows from there, but actually um, shifting the focus from avoiding pain to actually what do I want my life to be about. Mm. Love that. Excellent. Uh, I definitely can uh, resonate, obviously, with what Stephen's saying, but actually, uh, Alex, you brought up a great point there about sometimes it's a, what you grow up without. Uh, a mentor of mine talks about uh, that really your values come from your voids in life. I don't know if any of you can relate or have even thought about that at all. Uh, so one of the things that was really clear to me when growing up, I grew up in a single parent family. My mother was working uh, all the hours God sent and I was with a childminder for a lot of time. Now, I knew my mother loved me, not, don't get me wrong at all, and I didn't want for anything in that respect, but I didn't maybe have some of the opportunities that I wanted for my children when they were growing up. So without even kind of realizing it consciously, I wanted to create a lifestyle that was going to allow uh, me and my family, didn't necessarily know who that was gonna be at the time, uh, to have the opportunities to be able to be there them on every sports day assembly, uh, whatever it might be that was going on for them to, to really uh, give them opportunities that maybe I didn't have. And, and that's not to say that I regret my lifestyle or whatever, you know, my growing up, because actually it's made me exactly who I am. Uh, and I think you'll all feel the same. Hopefully you can look back and say, actually, whatever, however you grew up, it makes you who you are today. Uh, but one of the things for me was really clear was creating a lifestyle, even if I didn't know that at the very beginning, it was kind of subconsciously in there. So uh, one of the things I'd encourage you to do is think about, OK, uh, what are your values? I actually did an episode on it actually um, just a few weeks ago that's live now about what is your values? Uh, and sometimes you might find, oh, maybe it's because I didn't have that or that was maybe lacking for me when I was growing up. And it's just a nice exercise to do at times and why you're doing what you're doing. So uh, put that out there to you all. So the next thing I want to know from the panel is who or what has made the biggest impact in getting your business leveraged and allowing you to live the life that you want? And I'm going to actually start with my lovely husband, Stephen. Um, so what uh, the, the biggest thing that got us to the life, uh, leveraged lifestyle that we've got is uh, was definitely education. Um, if it wasn't for business education that I, I would never have got out of my job and knew that um, businesses were an option and I wouldn't know um, like all of the systems and hiring Filipinos that I do now um, so yeah so that sounded dodgy didn't it? <laughs> Just to clarify yeah. we have a number of VAs who are based in the Philippines yeah they are our virtual team yeah yeah <laughs> So yeah, so the, the what was education that got, got us there. Um, the who was hiring our uh, main first person, um, which was our property manager, and that just managed, um, Philippines in my head now. Um, <laughs> hiring that first property manager, managed to get uh, all of the low value tasks away from uh, my desk and allowed me to focus on the high value tasks and more on the vision and direction of the company rather than being bogged down by the day-to-day -day kind of reactionary tasks. Um, as soon as we hired him, it freed my time up 
and the the business grew like tenfold in a year. Um, so that's that's who. I would say I completely concur with that. Our property manager, we, we keep his name secret uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Many people have tried to pinch him in the past, along with our VAs. Uh, <laughs> that's why we help other people hire their VAs now, just so that we don't uh, have to give away ours. Um, but yeah, one of the things, he made an absolute uh, massive impact on our business. Uh, I always say that I start most of our businesses, um, but Stephen ends up kind of making them work and finishing them and uh, making them reality. Um, but definitely our, our property manager, Ashley, I'll say his name, is out there now. Um, he really took the business, especially our service accommodation business, from what was I had got to about two at this point within, I don't know, six months or so. Uh, within the next two years, we'd grown to over 20. Um, our income uh, from the SA business had grown to over half a million. So, you know, that's the power of people when you bring them into your business. Uh, the right people, of course, that's uh, really essential. So, uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, who wants to go next? Yeah, Alex, yeah? Give me a little nod. Stop yeah. you, mate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, touching on what Steve said, education. You know, we, a lot of us um, have a thing paying f- to, to learn stuff, right? We go to uni and quite happily rack up, you know, to whatever, 20, 30, 50 grand, or more in, in other countries. And um, that's the norm. That's safe. That's, you know, standard. But then it comes to investing in... And, and I'm not knocking your bit of paper. I've got one and I'm you know, proud of, of it, but it doesn't translate to cash. Like, um, whereas financial education, if you do your due diligence on the person that you're uh, going to invest with, ensuring that they've got like, a tangible track record of delivering results again and again, they're not just like a good you know, salesman kind of thing, and they've got your real best interest at heart, like, Yes, it's painful to pay it, but it saves you so much time and stress. And a lot of us in this room, you're probably like really talented, but I'm sure you are. But if sometimes education just enables you to, if you've got someone looking over your shoulder, like a mentee, looking at a deal saying, yeah, you should do that. We sometimes don't do the deal because we're scared to get it wrong. So having someone there to look over you enables you to achieve kind of what you're capable of. So education is vital if you're not, you know, haven't been on the course or got the mentorship, you're making it a lot, lot harder for yourself. And second of all, in terms of leverage, thinking about where you want your business to be down the line. So for me, I don't love, te- I, no, I don't not love tenants. I don't love dealing with tenants, let's put it that way. So, you know, I would prefer to be doing this stuff or traveling, or, you know, that kind of thing. I don't want to really be dealing with plumbers and all that kind of thing. And personally, I didn't want to set up, set up a letting agency to do that. So um, I leveraged a letting agent to manage the houses for me. And a lot of you in, um, you know, London, you know, my primary thing is HMOs, right? So, um, you might think, oh, it's difficult, uh, you know, I'm investing up north. It's, it's getting a great letting agent, it doesn't matter where they are. Um, you don't have to be on your patch. So getting someone you can trust to, to leverage and outsource it. I want a very lean business, not with loads of staff. Some people want a big kind of enterprise and management and that kind of thing. But for me, having you know, people in place who are great at what they do means I don't have to worry about managing them so much. There we go. People again, find the right people. Love that. And Ahmed, anything for you? So, so, so the question is what made the biggest impact on systems? Uh, yeah, so who or what, so it could okay. be a person or could be uh, cool. an item or tool or system, whatever, has made cool. the biggest impact to um, allow you to live what you're doing now. Okay, so for me, it's captero.com. Uh, I don't know if anyone's used it, but it's amazing. 
Essentially, what you do is you put in your business or the sort of thing you're looking for, and it gives you all the pieces of software which you can use. So for example, let's say you need a CRM. You put in CRM, and it'll shoot you all of the CRMs, uh, reviews, uh, verified reviews, all that sort of stuff. And because when it comes to automation, there's so many things which are like, you know, you just wouldn't think they even exist. Uh, and you know, so you, you do a whole bunch of manual things again and again, and suddenly you realize there's actually a system which does the whole thing for you. So Capterra.com, uh, I'm not affiliated. How do you spell it? C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A. I've probably not even pronounced it right. There we go. However, you can put in your business or you can put in the sort of software you're looking for, and it will give you so many options. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and if you've all missed that, by the way, I'm going to make sure it's in our Leverage Lifestyle community. We put the show notes from every episode into our Leverage Lifestyle community. You're all very welcome to join, by the way. Uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, just search Leverage Lifestyle. And uh, yeah, we'll put all the tool systems that we talk about tonight, because I think a few are probably going to come up tonight as well, and make sure they're all in there for you. So um, yeah, but thank you. I love that one. Yeah, a so anything else in particular? It. Was that um, biggest one? That, that, well, that, that's the major one because a lot of the tools I use have actually come off Captera. Okay. Uh, and that's made a huge, huge difference because, like I said, there's a lot of things which I didn't realize could be automated because, you know, you simply don't think they even exist. Uh, but a lot of things are already out there. So it's a simple case of finding them as opposed to doing a whole bunch of manual stuff. So I, I would definitely put that top of the list. Love it. Great stuff. Uh, so. Uh, well, your answer might have already been this, so we might have already done you, Ahmed. Um, but the next question is, what is the one thing that you have implemented in your business that has made the biggest impact on your business? So that's probably, yeah? No, I've got another answer. Another answer, okay. Yeah. Well, I might straight up to you then. Oh, shall I go first? You might as well. Um, so <laughs> similar to Alex, I wanted a business which uh, was very, very lean, so I, I didn't want a whole bunch of staff because you then have to manage people, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of, a lot of systems and softwares you can actually get where they already have the staff in place. So you simply just plug into something, but you're not actually managing the people. They're doing that for you. So again, it's a simple kit. Like you, it's, an, it's an app or it's a website, uh, but you get the best of both worlds, which is you get the human interaction, but you don't have to manage the humans, uh, which makes it very, very powerful. So for me, that's huge. Love that. Excellent. Uh, Stephen? Yeah. Can you ask it again? Uh, so uh, the one thing you have implemented in your business that's made the biggest impact in your business or on your business. So, let's even answer and then. Um, yeah, so mine's uh, probably a little bit contrary to uh, Ahmed's there. So as much as tools and systems are, are great tools and help automate our business, um, one thing that we stressed was uh, to get the right systems and processes in place um, irregardless of the tool, because your systems should work without the tools, so, and the tools should just help them run more efficiently and smoothly. Because, say, if for service accommodation, you're building a, a system around listing a property on Booking.com, your system is now going to be restricted by what your property description can be on uh, Booking.com rather than everything that sells your property that can be listed on every other site. So one thing that we um, kind of focused on in our business is making sure all the systems are correct first. Um, and that's not to say that we didn't have the, the, the tools and processes involved at, at the same time, but we wanted to make sure the systems are spot on so we can go between tools and, and use the right tool for what we want to achieve rather than work into the tool. Um, and contrary to... Um, to you, uh, we do hire 
our own staff. And one of the, the biggest um, things that we implemented was to have a virtual PA slash operations manager. Um, and she manages the other VAs for me now. So that's kind of fr freed up my, more of my time. And she has the, the kind of cultural awareness of the rest of the team to be able to speak to them more locally, um, pick up the phone and talk. So that's kind of, that's bonded my whole virtual team um, to make them all pull together for the right, for the same goals and has, has just kind of uh, improved our businesses probably like, like tenfold again. But um, yeah. just by having one, one contact for myself, managing the rest has, has helped. And she's even arranging a, a trip for them all um, to kind of meet up and work together for two days so they can kind of um, work on ideas, come up with training, uh, so we can help train other VAs. And um, yeah, she's, she's very good. And that's what you get with, with virtual assistants. <laughs> there you go. I'm Mike. And now you can understand why I'm people try to nicker, right? Yeah, so she's our, essentially our executive VA, but she's become our operations manager as well. So we hired her on the basis that um, we have worked through a number of uh, kind of locally based virtual PAs, uh, but more UK based. And um, it kind of came out of a need uh, to have a, a kind of Filipino based executive VA. Um, I'll let Stephen probably tell you the story. There's a question coming up. I won't spoil his uh, <laughs> his answer. Um, but not everything with me involves Filipinos, but <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness me! Uh, so, uh, well, I, I'd say she's definitely made an impact as well because we've actually created another business with her. Like that's the exciting part as well. Like something you probably wouldn't even expect that might happen when you're working with maybe a virtual team member that they actually come up with a new business idea that you end up implementing and running with them. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, so that's the Viva Club. A few people have asked me about that this evening uh, because we're already connected. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, bit.ly forward slash the Viva Club um, and to hire your own VA so you don't need. Shall I say her name again? Mary. There we go. Yeah, so uh, Mary is fantastic. Uh, she can help you even through the process as well if you've never done it before, uh, as we've helped hundreds of other people do now. So that's the exciting part. That's, that, that's, that's an impact a Filipino VA can make. There you go. That's, that's why we love them so much, eh? Hey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Alex, over to you. So the question was... Uh, what is the one thing or one particular thing you have implemented in your business that's made the biggest impact? So I'm, I'm going to answer a kind of slightly different question, but the same one. Um, so it's some advice that my friend Aaron gave me a little while ago, and it was learning to... We could spend years learning, right? Sales, marketing, um, social media, maybe shout out some other things. Fine. Finance, strategy, you know, you could spend... Sorry? Admin, yeah, operation system, like you spend years doing it all. So, and, and yes, you know, we see that pop on Facebook on that, and then we read that book, and then someone recommends that, and you, you could literally spend forever doing it. But instead of learning it just in case, you learn what you need just in time. So, and focusing on that one thing and reading like that same book one, two, three times, you know, and reading a few different books on that same subject, really smashing it then you can then go on to the next thing. So just looking at what you actually need to do in your business, learning on that one specific thing, and then really cement it. Because we kid ourselves, right? Oh, I've read a hundred books, you know, 
and, and that's great, but if they're all on completely different subjects, you've whizzed through them, you're not going to remember them. Like, maybe you're smarter than me, uh, and you can do, but for most of, most of us kind of normal people, it goes completely out the window. So read that same book again and again and again, implement it, and don't move on until you're actually doing what that book says. So for me, it was time management was my um, kind of, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you run around doing this thing, you think it's fun, exciting, but it's really stressful. Uh, you can achieve stuff, but it comes at a cost, right? You wake up in the night, you're thinking about it, first thing in the morning, it's like hunger, dry, like, it's exhausting. So actually just, I'm by no means an expert at it, but just getting better at what are my priorities, you know, what, writing them out before the end of the day. Um, me and Aaron accountability buddies, so like, you know, telling each other, uh, and this came from Dom actually, he was one of my mentees, um, a great idea to find someone to you know, uh, tell them what you're going to do at the beginning of the day, not to them to tell you off, or, you know, but really just for you. Tell them what you're going to do, what your most important tasks. Check in at the end of the day, what have you done, what have you not done? And actually that kind of accountability helps you look at what did I do, what didn't I do? And yes, you've spent hours on Facebook and that's cool, but you really should have been raising the cash you know, and you were just <laughs> procrastinating. So um, yeah. Okay, love that. Just, just in time information, not just in case information. If you want yeah. to take a picture of Aaron and then put that as the tagline, on the, <laughs> like a Tony Robbins quote. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Um, fantastic. So I really do believe that leveraging is not just about your skill set and the tools and the systems and all that. I do feel it's a mindset because every day we're going to do tasks, we're going to do things that maybe we're not the best at, maybe someone else could do better, quicker, maybe even cheaper than us. Uh, but sometimes we've got to just get ourselves in that mindset every single day. So uh, I know that a number of setbacks can happen when the mindset's not in the right place when it comes to it. So I want to ask these guys, uh, have you had any setbacks in particular when it's, coming to, when it's come to systemizing or outsourcing your business and how you've overcome them? So... Who wants to take this one first? Ah, see who's taking this one first. <laughs> He's been nominated. Um, sure, yes. Yeah. So, um, a, a couple of examples. Um, so we trialled a physical PA here in the UK. Um, and, yeah, um, it, it didn't work as well as it should have done, really. Yeah. We, we, we were paying um, pounds per 20 hour. pounds an hour, um, expecting um, a lot of work from them. And yeah, it just wasn't coming. It was not great work. So therefore, I had to take all that back and re-outsource it. And that's kind of why we go to the Philippines, because when, when I started in um, hiring virtual assistants, I mean, Filipino uh, virtual assistants work just as hard as um, like your virtual assistants here in the UK. They're just that your money works a lot uh, more there and it's more valuable for them. Um, so their motivation and drive to work for you is greater. And that's, that, that's why I and we can see um, a lot more benefit from working with them rather than um, personal assistants or virtual assistants in the UK. So that was a minor setback. Um, but to carry on the virtual assistant um, kind of story, we had a finance... Um, a bookkeeper that we hired um, in the Philippines who just wasn't doing their job as, as good as they should be. Um, being an accountant for 13 years, I, I, I kind of knew it on the, off the back of my hand. So I had, I had to sack her and it became easy for me to fall back into the trap of just doing it because it's easy for me. Um, 
And so, so yeah, it did take a little while for me to go, why am I doing this still? Let's rehire it out. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just a lesson to, um, it was a lesson for me to refine my interview questions and hiring process for virtual assistants. Um, so my testing of them became, um, I'll just say more extreme, but that's rigorous. 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 There thank you. Fair Yeah. So so I took like, took the lesson, improved our processes, and now we've got a, a great finance manager that manages all our businesses. So yes, there's going to be setbacks, um, and yeah, you, you you're going to end up taking on the work yourself again. But you just yeah, you just need to keep yourself back into back into it. Um, and a useful tip um, to help manage your time in that case is using our, an app called Hours Tracker. And basically, you can just track what you're doing every day, um, so what task you're doing. And then you can put a value against each task. So for me, bookkeeping, um, I, I've got our finance manager for £3 an hour. So I put £3 an hour. I'm spending 10 hours a week on bookkeeping for 30 quid. Yeah, that's uh, no, nowhere near worth it for my time, and it shifted it. Um, so like you can do that across all of the tasks you do in your, your business, and you'll find where, where you're spending your time, what tasks are low value, what tasks are high value, and start systemizing and outsourcing the low value ones. Is that hours? Hour tracker. Yeah, I, th I think it's all too easy, especially when you do have a skill set in a particular area to uh, just start taking it back. Um, I, I've done many roles uh, through my kind of corporate life and public service and all of that, uh, public sector, should I say. Um, so uh, I used to be uh, admin and PA myself uh, back in the day for directors. And so I knew what I wanted and the level I should expect of uh, you know, virtual PAs or even uh, VAs over in the Philippines as well. And so there is that expectation if you're paying £20 per hour, which I never got paid because it was public sector, um, that actually I knew I was uh, I could do a better job than what we were paying for £20 per hour. So sometimes there is like you will have a benchmark of what you expect and the, um, the level of service you want for that. Uh, and what I would say is don't be afraid. You know, we've said, yes, we have had to sack and fire some staff along the way and things like that. And sometimes that's really hard to do because it's, you start creating uh, sort of emotional attachments. And even if you, you haven't, it still doesn't feel great, right? Um, but one of the lessons there is also don't be afraid if, if, you know, if you didn't hire right, if you didn't get it right first time, second time, third time, don't worry. We, we can improve the process. You can see where you went wrong. Um, you know, one of the things we also look at before we consider even, uh, you know, firing or sacking is what could we do to improve? Uh, have we not made it clear what we need? Have we not set the expectations? Um, things like their KPIs, their KRA, so the key performance indicators, key results areas. Have we made it really clear what expected them? Yes, okay, we have. Okay, it's probably time to, to let them go. So actually being really clear about that and not being afraid to do that is, a, I think, a key lesson as well that we've learned along the way. Um, biggest setback you've had, Alex? <laughs> um, I'd probably say it's builder-related. So the benefit of not having a clue how to even put up a shelf, <laughs> don't judge me, um, is I don't find myself going and putting up a shelf, right? So you leverage it, so you pay, you know, you pay someone £10 an hour to do it. But I didn't really, I abdicated, I didn't delegate. So I just like, build a date, go, nice one. 
um, you know, didn't know about payment milestones and structures and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so as I moved up the kind of deal chain from, you can kind of get away with it on smaller deals, but then you start doing bigger commercial buildings to 10 flats um, and another commercial building to four flats and a nine bedroom HMO. Just there's more opportunity for creativity on invoicing and, um, you know, builders, not builders to do their thing, but this particular builder to do his thing. <laughs> so um, that was a nightmare. And I think the learning for me was just because I could, I got my head around buying a house, raising finance, you know, all the limiting beliefs I had. I, I, I'm too young, I was 21, 22. I don't have any money, I can't do this. I then kind of managed to get those out of the way and started taking action. But actually then I thought I don't need a mentor, mentor anymore because I can do the thing now, I'm not going to waste money paying. But you don't know what you don't know. So I couldn't see what was ahead for me. The fact that I could run out and do loads of deals, that's easy for me, that's like, my, my thing. But the admin, the systems, the technical like, you know, s operations kind of stuff, I didn't know about and if I'd have had someone there, you know, it wouldn't have gone that way. So um, yeah, first two years were crazy growth and it was like, bloody hell, I've created a monster. I've got to sort this out now uh, and then able to actually enjoy it again. Love it. Thank you, Al. Um, so it, you possibly uh, might be the same answer as this one, but um, my kind of final formal question before we go into a quick fire round. Oh, yes. Uh, give them a bit of a pre-warning. Uh, what is the biggest mistake you have made uh, when systemizing or outsourcing or leveraging your business? Um, probably no Stephen, so should we start start there? <laughs> yep. Um, so one of our biggest mistakes, um, it's not, it wasn't huge, but um, it is a good lesson to know, is outsourcing too quickly. Um, so if you're, like, if you're a bit, uh, your business is a mess and it's crazy at the moment, then hiring into that is just going to cause things to be more crazy. Um, so make sure that you've got everything on, um, not everything under order, but things clear and especially clear for what you want your your uh, person to do before you start putting people in the mix. Otherwise, it just becomes a waste of money, more mess, and and hard to untangle. I think you put it very succinctly earlier when we were talking about the question, saying if you hire into chaos, you just create more chaos. Chaos, that's the one. Oh, I know. Oh, I was trying to think of it. I said it, I said it on the train on the way in. So yeah, hiring into, uh, hiring into chaos just creates more chaos. So uh, one of the key things I um, share with people, usually more on a kind of one-to-one -one, if they come and uh, chat to me after talks, is uh, when we hired our very first virtual assistant about five years ago or so now, probably was. Yep. Yep. Uh, Stephen decided not to hire just one, but two. Because uh, he, he couldn't decide between the two of them. Um, actually, one of them still works with us this far on as well. Um, so that's really lovely. We've built up a fantastic relationship with her. Um, but it was like, OK, our life is now sorted. Our businesses are now sorted. We've hired these staff. And, oh, crap, we've got to give them some work to do. Uh, <laughs> what are we going to give them? And so one of the key things, uh, again, I speak to people about is making sure you've got processes, you've got checklists, you've got... Uh, you know, you filmed some of your processes, just really simply uh, maybe capturing uh, your screen on your laptop, whatever it might be, and talk through what you're doing so that when they come into your business, they're ready to go. And, you, you know, you can hand over documents to them straight away. So 
Again, the people we work with, uh, we have an online masterclass called Life Leverage Online Masterclass. And uh, as one of the things we give to our mentees and the people we work with is all our onboarding documents and everything that we didn't have when we started because, hey, we've invented the wheel now. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just pass the, the magic on, as it were. So, um, yeah, uh, key thing, do not hire just because you think that's going to solve everything. It won't if you're not ready for it, okay? Uh, really, really key. Uh, Ahmed, I don't know, is there cool. something so, for you? Um, yeah, so biggest mistake, not taking enough time to learn a piece of software. Uh, so again, it's kind of like Excel. There's a whole bunch of things you can do on Excel, but all I know is how you basically add columns. That's, that's pretty much all I know. <laughs> but, but there's so much you can do with it, right? So it, let me give you a practical example, which is I did something for about eight months, uh, and then I realized all I had to do was press two buttons, and I would never have had to do it. And I did it for eight months, like almost day in, day out, uh, because I didn't spend enough time learning all the details and the different things which plug in and plug out and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I would say if you're going to use something like a system or software, make sure you understand it as much as possible, uh, because a lot of times it can do a lot more than you think. So I, I didn't think you could even do it, but I did it for eight months, and it was two buttons, and I would have never had to do it in my life. Ah. So. Uh, learn, learn to use whatever you're using. That's what I'd say. <laughs> nice. This, this is why I married what I call the spreadsheet king. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love Excel. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be your man. Yeah. <laughs> I can just add stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be your man. Uh, excellent. Alex, is there anything particular? Anything other than that? king. There you go. It's a merchant. Uh, I called a few other up. things, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm not saying that again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so for me, it was kind of related, I think, um, I can't remember who said it, but throwing money at like systems consultants or people to come in and trying to help me. So yes, it was useful, but my I was so busy, I didn't have the headspace to start doing what they said it would. And just thought by hiring another uh, you know, business coach or systems consultant would, would kind of rectify the issue. And it was actually me I needed to sort out. Um, rather than some process. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Um, yeah. Good one. Okay, we're about to go to quick fire, uh, and after this, it's gonna be over to uh, the live audience uh, with your questions, so get ready for them, uh, and uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what you're gonna uh, test these guys with. Uh, so quick fire, uh, I'm gonna try and keep it as rapid as possible and go back and forward if we can. Um, so, so is it one person at a time or one question at a time? Uh, one question at a time to each of you, and then we're going to speed through them. Yeah? Should we do this? Are you ready? Seatbelts on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> top piece of advice you could give uh, our audience and the people listening on the podcast. Al, start with you. Focus not on what you're doing, but on who you're being. It's so easy to be busy, busy, hunger, drive, smash it, hustle all this kind of American YouTube stuff, and I'm not knocking it, you're not gonna get where you want to by not putting in work, but focus on who you're being. You need to grow you in order to grow your business. So what makes you feel awesome? You know, is it taking a walk in nature? Is it meditating? Is it seeing your mates? Um, you know, whatever it is, top yourself up, and then when you actually go to your life, your business, it's so much easier. And a lot of us, myself massively, you make sacrifices at the beginning thinking you need to do that. And you, you do need to make sacrifices, but don't throw your life out the window because when times do get tough, it's going to be, it's going to feel sh**. Sorry, you might have to scrub that out. But when, when, a bit um, rubbish, a bit not, rubbish. Yeah, that's it's, not. it's really difficult when you're not seeing your friends, you're not playing football anymore, you're not, you know, and then you're having a tough time at work, it's like really consuming as opposed to, 
you know, you're doing all this other stuff and there's a challenge in the business and, you know, um, but when you're topped up, you're feeling good, you can go to that business with a lot more perspective and, um, and clarity. Love it. Uh, and it's like you were listening to my recent recording because I'm just on an episode that's going to go live before this episode, uh, which is all about getting back to you. So nice. Love it. Top piece of advice, Stephen? Yep, great. Uh, link to that is uh, really hone in on your vision. Um, vision was very important for, like, for our service accommodation business. I knew exactly how I wanted it to be at the end. I didn't want to be running from house to house. I knew that I just wanted to sit back, have a management call with my property manager each week, and that's it. And then because I uh, visualised that so well, I knew the, the team that I needed to get there, the systems that I needed to put in place. And, I mean, the vision is linked to, massively to who you want to be as well because I wanted to be free and of, of, of this business, but I just wanted it to, to provide. So, yeah. Nice. And Arvind? Uh, I think mine would be don't overvalue just one person's opinion uh, because everyone has one and most of them I just feel like crap. So um, <laughs> it, it is what it is, right? So uh, I would say what happens is someone says something and people kind of take it as it is and then they come up with justifications as to why that's correct, whereas it, it might not actually be correct. So what I would say is uh, if you're looking to do something, speak to you know, a bunch of people, see what they all think and make a judgment based on that as opposed to what one guy said. Because if that one person is wrong, even though they're the expert, then you've just kind of been led down the wrong path. Um, you know, it's not intended, but obviously anyone can make a mistake. So don't focus too much on just one person. That's what I would say. Yeah, Can nice. I jump on, just add something onto that? Please do. So I'm a massive, or traditionally I've been a massive overthinker. I don't know if anyone's an overthinker, but it's not fun, right? You think about it, then you go and ask this person, opinion that person, and then ooh, and just one more opinion, and then that contradicts the other one. And then you go round and round and round in circles, doubting yourself, you're scared to take action, and you don't get anywhere. And then if you do take action, then doubting the action you could have taken, and you know, maybe I should have done something else. So actually, without getting too hippie on you, like you know the answer, like, Trust yourself, like listen to your heart, you know the answer. And when you get out of your head and just trust yourself, life becomes so much easier. And if it was the wrong decision anyway, who cares? Like it's gone now. And it, but the fact that you've made a decision means you're far further ahead than if you would have gone with that other decision that was 20% better. So yes, ask other people's opinions is really, really important because you might be something you don't know, but trust yourself and, and go with it. Nice. There we go. There you go. Two different opinions there. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, quick fire, lads. Quick fire. Uh, <laughs> Alex is taking up the time. <laughs> uh, no, it's quite right. It, hasn't this been brilliant? Been really useful so far? Fantastic. So, uh, quick fire number two. What's the worst advice you've received? Uh, Stephen? Uh, stay in your job. Yeah, there okay. you go. Stay comfortable, stay small, stay in your job. Yeah. Okay. Ahmed. Um, you need experience before you start a business, which, which I personally never understood because if you, let's say you do accountancy, you will have experience in accountancy. You won't have experience in marketing or sales and, you know, all the other fields. So I never understood what having experience in one thing would actually help me achieve. So, uh, and I just feel the risk is always not as much as people think. Like, it's, it's, it's never going to kill you. If you, you know, if you do something new, and it doesn't work out for a couple of months, it's not gonna kill you. So, uh, but I think there's a huge thing about risk, that if people get scared of risk, uh, and that's my bad advice, which was, you need experience, you need this, you need that, whereas in reality, if you really wanna get something done, you'll get it done. Love it, nice. Start nice. with single lets was mine. So everyone was <laughs> like, start, you need three to five single lets, earn your 
stripes, you know, and then, then move up the deal chain. If you get someone who's an expert in whatever strategy you want to do, you can jump levels. So um, I remember saying to my partner at the time, oh, I think I found my first singlet. And she was like, oh, amazing, like, tell me about it. And I was like, oh, it's great, you know, we're going to be making loads of money. She was like, how much money are you going to be making? And I was like, like 200 pounds a month. She was like, what? <laughs> how many of those do you need to get me out of my job? And I was like, 15 or something. So like, how long is that going to take you? And I was like, quite a long time. So, um, you know, if you can jump levels. Singlets are great, you know, add them to the portfolio maybe later, but if you don't love what you do, if you want financial freedom, you know, skip levels. Um, so, you know, whether that's rent to rent or HMO, or, you know, you can cash up very quickly and then worry about kind of diversifying and stuff down the line. Cool. Uh, okay. Have you got a favorite online tool or system that you use? So now you mentioned- Should I start? Yeah, go for it. Uh, City Mapper. I can't use Achieve Maps, so <laughs> Love I, it. I've been. I lived in London for three years. I'm still like in and out, like once or twice a week. But I can't use Achieve Maps. So City Mapper. I think it's amazing. There you go. Just gets you from A to B, doesn't it? Love it. Yeah. Perfect. See, not all about business here. This is how we can leverage your life as well. <laughs> Steve, what was the question? Uh, what's your favourite online tool or app or something to use? I know I've thrown that one in la last minute. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's because I've got so many. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Zapier. Um, Zapier is great for connecting other software and systemizing. And generally, I go to Zapier first to make sure that any new software that I need to get into links with my current software. So, and then you get tips and kind of how to how to link and use. So. That's one of my faves. One of your faves. Have you got a personal favorite tool for personal life or anything? Wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am Stephen's Google, by the way. So what time is Tesco's open till? Uh, what time is the restaurant? Uh, what's on the menu? Yeah, I'm, I'm his personal Google. So yes, that's about right. <laughs> Instead of Alexa. That's it, yeah. Alexa. Cat, what's this? Uh, yeah, your favourite online tool, Alex. Well, completely random. This is probably relevant to most people in the audience, but um, Happy Cow is an app. Uh, so I eat like a plant-based diet. So a lot of restaurants just don't, or they do cater for me, but I like to go places where they cater to you know, vegans or healthy eaters more regularly. So yeah, love it. I pretty much use that every week. So yeah, I, I'd agree with that one as well. Okay. What are you leveraging outside of business? What kind of tools, tips, something that you uh, have outsourced to someone else, uh, but in personal life? Um, uh, Al, do you want to kick off at all? So when a friend uh, said to me that he had a housekeeper, I was like, what are you, galloping in on your horse, you know, wearing your gilet, <laughs> you know. You know um, and then he explained to me that what do I not like to do or what's important to me? So what's important to me is eating healthy and, you know, um, working out. And I find when I eat well, I then have more energy, I then have more clarity in the hours of my I sleep less, like I'm on point. So, but I found I'd work late and then I would uh, just, you know, Domino's or pizza, you know, it's the easy thing to do, right? So getting someone to come in to make like fresh fruit and veg, uh, juice and, and make my salads and, and make kind of dinner prep, um, not all the time, I do like to cook as well, but just means it's easy for me to do. And in terms of my time paying £12 an hour, I think, um, to do that, you know, like 
Steve said, you know, what can I do else do with that time? So either it's not going to get done and that's going to impact my other goals in life, not just business, but time with my friends or, um, you know, fitness goals, um, or I could be using that time more productively. Mm. Love that. <clears throat> uh, yes, a cleaner gardener. Um, I might make the garden look pretty, but it'll probably be weeds because I really can't tell the difference. <laughs> so, uh, we, yeah, we definitely and you can no, get arrested for that. <laughs> <laughs> and a favourite app or anything, Stephen, in terms of what for personal? Yeah, you shared it with me on the train again, but you know. We got an inference getting seen out. Do you want to remind him? Yeah, I know he's got baby brain. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, sorry, I didn't realise you were referring to that. So Audible is great. I listen to it. I listen to books all the time um, when 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 at the gym. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of. Um, so recently, I listened to Twenty Four Assets by Daniel Priestley, and that kind of really made me focus more on the assets that I'm building in the business. A lot of a lot of which what I was doing, but there was there was more assets that I could be building to make our companies more valuable in the, in the future. So, yeah, Audible's a great, um, great app that I use all, all, all daily. So, so one of the things that I think, uh, why well, I wanted to mention it though, in particular, uh, I think a lot of us love the idea of reading, we want to expand our knowledge, uh, but actually sitting down to read a book like feels like you're taking time away from something else so obviously you love being down the gym that's a high value of yours that you want to be down there working out and actually you can be listening to a book whilst you're doing anything else that you love so uh what we call net time no extra time and you use that as well and um can can i just highlight for you what audible has done for you in terms of reading books when we first got together nine years or so ago how many books had you read outside of school none no so I didn't even read the book for my um, English book report. <laughs> you watched the film instead? Yeah, I just watched the film. And... <laughs> Leverage, baby. <laughs> yeah, never a fan of reading. The, the only reading I did was for like my SEMA studies, but that wasn't like, like a book. Um, and then, yeah, I'm kind of, when I studied for accountancy, I finished my SEMA studies and I thought, Do you know what, that's, that's it for me for learning. I don't need to do any more. I've got where I need to, to get. Um, until Catherine came along and dragged me to uh, a self-development course and then these property courses and business courses and then I kind of realised I didn't know everything that I needed to know. And then... Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so then I just, I just love learning new things and Audible is a great thing to do that on the go. And... Uh I wonder, is there any particular... So, so this is leverage... Uh, leverage kind personal of per life. personal life. Okay, like, obviously, so. you mentioned City Mapper. Obviously, it's a great one for you, but anything uh, else? Well, so I live at home. So therefore, my mum does everything. So, there's, <laughs> you know, so, so a large part of that is leveraged. Um, great. Let me, let me quickly teach you quickly about Asian households. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you want to leave, you can't leave. Okay. And everyone here will testify with me. Um, so, and everything sort of gets done but i do have i do have an app if i if i can say an app yeah, so my like you my like you okay every time you drive somewhere it basically tracks where you're going so and you just go business or i think personal and you kind of just pick between the two it just makes it quite easy but other than that i don't have like you know i don't deal with the gardens and 
all that sort of stuff, unfortunately. So there you go. I don't that, have much there. Ultimate leverage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Stay at home is the, the what was the key lesson there? Yeah. We'll <laughs> get, get you on to do family. it. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, this is uh, again. So this is my final quick fire. Again, it's going to be over to you, live audience. Uh, this is where we're going to get to know a little bit more about these uh, guys. Um, so, ladies, if you are interested in the singletons here, uh, <laughs> uh, if you had a magic wand. What one problem in the world would you fix and why? Shall I go first because Alex is thinking? Yeah, you can tell. He's always <laughs> thinking face on. Go on. This is similar to City Mapper. It's called Rail Plan 2020 and it sucks. So essentially that's what I would fix because I don't know if anyone's used the trains recently, but they were cancelled, they're delayed, everything is wrong. Apparently it's supposed to be faster, but it's just not. So it is a huge uh, inconvenience. So that needs to be fixed. It would make your life and lots of people's lives better, hey? Well, anyone who uses a train. Okay. There you Perfect. go. Fixed. Done. <laughs> I'd have, um, I suppose, I've been thinking about this all the time. I can't think of it. Uh, I'm just going to go with uh, better business and finance education in schools. Mm. Because I didn't know this option was available, available to me until, until much later in life. Until I came along. I went to the first one and then dragged him along to the rest. Would anyone else agree with that one? Business and finance education schools. There we go. See, it's a good one. <laughs> Alex, go on. So mine would be self-doubt. So if people around the world believed in themselves, the world would be very different, right? Um, if you were able to separate the little voice from you and, and act, you know, and realise that you can create your life to be whatever you want to be, um, I think that would pretty much rectify every world issue there was. Mm. And probably those two as well. Mine's <laughs> <laughs> right. always big, but all, <laughs> it does impact That's me. a big magic wand <laughs> going on there. Love that. Self-belief. Do you think we could all do with a bit more self-belief and belief in what we're doing? And yeah, I'd, I'd highly agree with that. Okay, so that's my quick fire over with. Um, so, lads, you got a bit of a heads up on what my questions were. This is now really over to your audience and uh, in your hands. And um, yeah, as I say... Uh, I've got something to share with you all after this as well and a final question to wrap things up. So I'm going to take the questions from you. Do they pick one person or do they ask it to everyone? Well, uh, they decide. So if you've got a particular person you want to ask it to or if you'd like to hear uh, an answer from all the panel, you let me know and I will ask it away. So what is your name, my darling? Shaz. Shaz? Yeah. Excellent, Shaz. I'm going to repeat your question anyway as well. So. Okay, so how do you most efficiently employ a VA to do your bookkeeping work? Probably to Stephen. So how do you most efficiently hire a VA to do bookkeeping work specifically? Uh, the spreadsheet king. <laughs> over to you, yeah. Um, so I make sure that they're already educated in the software that I'm using. So we use Xero. Um, a lot of Filipinos already know how to use Xero. So we've got a fully qualified accountant uh, in the Philippines for £3 an hour full-time. Um, so um, yeah, you're already kind of one step ahead of, well, I mean, you wouldn't be buying anyone for £3 an hour. Buying, hiring anyone <laughs> for £3 an hour here. We've gone there again, haven't we, Stephen? We've gone um, there again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so I'd make sure that, that they know the software, that they're qualified, and ask them specific questions uh, related to your business. Um, so it could be how to deal with a refund. Um, how would you, I mean, like our bookkeeper 
sends out uh, invoices to our SA guests, chases up payments from agencies, and um, so you could ask them how they would do that, um, and give them, ask them for an example on the the KPIs they report on or financial figures they report on. And of course, the final thing that Stephen forgot to mention is come and have a chat to us about the Viva Club. You've got it, Shaz. We're connected anyway on Facebook, aren't we? I know we are. So. Lovely. Uh, what is your name, sir? Louis. Louis. And do you have a question? Is it for one or all? Uh, I do. It's just that Alex and Ahmed, mean, you mentioned that you've got involved very young. Um, so I guess the question would be, what advice would you give to someone that's trying to get onto the property ladder, be it for personal themselves or the development of wealth? Um, sort of what would be the best plan of action? So particularly if the person is young? as well maybe or yep so starting out so uh over to al and ahmed uh starting young what was the advice you give about uh, building up a personal or uh commercial portfolio of property particularly or yep yep that, thanks for making me feel old as well you're only a year older than me so you know what's that saying about us <laughs> the oldies with kids yeah that's it now that's it we're old now Stephen. we're parents <laughs> Okay, so so being young, I'll just make the assumption you don't have too much funds to work with. I'll just I'll just make that assumption. Oh, okay, fine. So so if you're starting young, don't have too much money to work with, I would start with a strategy like a rent to rent or a rent to SA because it doesn't need too much money. Uh, so that's one thing. And and what it does is the smaller strategies and the smaller deals, uh, you build up a lot of confidence and you build up a lot of momentum at the same time. So. You know, you can start doing a one huge deal, but if that doesn't work for you and suddenly you're 12 months in, confidence plays a massive part. So you spoke about this with self-doubt. Whereas if you do a numerous amount of small deals, uh, you start to meet a lot of people, you find, you find out what other people are doing and really kind of get going. So if, if money is an issue and experience is an issue, I would say start small, do some small deals, build momentum, build confidence, and sort of work your way up as opposed to um, targeting, you know, the, the huge thing right at the start. I, I think I think that would be right of anyone. Like, no matter what age you are, and sometimes like you feel like age is a, a barrier. I started in business as well. Uh, uh, dragged Stephen along a bit later. He's a year older than me, uh, but around the age of kind of 25, 26. So I didn't have a, a capital pot behind me. I didn't have experience in property in particular. So I feel like whatever age you're at there'll always be a barrier that you think is there, but actually sometimes you can make it your thing that makes you stand out. So I've seen um, you know, many people within the kind of progressive property network as well, who have come in extremely young, but they're super enthusiastic, passionate, um, just have got time on their hands as well. Like they're not bogged down with a job and family and all that sort of stuff. So they can bring things that older 30 somethings, <sighs> Stephen, um, that, you know, that, you know, a, a 20, uh, you know, 18 year old, 21 year old uh, doesn't have. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Steve, uh, Al. So obviously the great thing about having all of us is different, different opinions. So um, I think it starts with clarity on what you want to achieve. If you want to be making big lumps of money, you know, you can go and start doing developments, maybe smaller ones, we said, not, you know, a ma massive one, but a smaller one. For me, I wanted passive income, and because of the, the fear thing, I didn't want anyone to be able to take that away from me. So I wanted, I didn't just want to make a lump, because then what do I do with the lump? Then either I'm sitting on the beach and that's going down, or I've then got to do something with it. So I wanted passive income that came in recurringly, and I wanted to be making money from that house, you know, in capital growth as well. So HMOs were the perfect strategy for me. Um, and like Ahmed just said, everyone's got a limiting belief. 
you know, to no time, no money, whatever, you will find a reason why you can't achieve it. So uh, get clarity on what you want to achieve and then find someone to help you do that. Learn from them and do what they tell you. Because so many of us try and put our own spin on it or be creative. You know, do that when you get your three, five, ten grand a month. But for the starters, just do what you're told and it works. Great stuff. Love that. Other questions? Fantastic. Oh, that one straight up at the back there, gentlemen with the blue shirt. What's your name and your question? Who's it for? Uh, my question is for the entire panel as well as anybody else in the audience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is masterminding at its best now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, my question relates to the service accommodation business, mm-hmm. uh, which I understand that a lot of people are doing on a almost rent to rent model. Mm-hmm. In other words, renting the property and then subletting on a nightly, weekly, on a short term basis. Uh, my question is have any of the panel or anyone else in the room? Um, are they conscious or do they not have to deal with the fact that a lot of central London boroughs, in particular Westminster City Council, Kensington, Hammersmith and Fulham, they are cracking down on these things. So do you see this as a long-term business or really a game of cat and mouse? In other words, you're setting up a flat, you'll be shut down and then you have to move on to another one. Um, if you're doing this outside of central London, I'd be grateful to hear your experiences with local, with local councils outside of central London. Have, you know, interfered with your business, telling you you haven't got the right planning permission class, yep. running it as a wholesale separate. Yep. An insight into those regulatory aspects. Okay, I'm going to summarise that into <laughs> one go. So uh, it's all about the SA business, particularly on a rent-to-rent basis. Uh, obviously, central London, particular boroughs have their uh, restrictions. Uh, you've got the 90-day rule, uh, things like that. Um, so I know a few people in the room are definitely uh, doing it in central London. Uh, 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 (laughs) uh, Ahmed, uh, Pippa as well, uh, obviously host here. In terms of outside, definitely Stephen's going to be able to help you on that. So um, I don't know, Pippa, you can come and uh, use my mic as well, but Ahmed, do you want to... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can answer the question. It's just, um, how long do we have? How long do I have to answer? <laughs> That's your time, Stephen. <laughs> I can answer the question. Essentially, um, there's there's three markets which most people don't tap into. Uh, a lot of people think service accommodation is Airbnb and Booking.com. However, it's actually a lot more than that. So I'll give you one quick example. If your house has a fire tomorrow, the insurance company has to relocate you into temporary accommodation. So the insurance market calls it temporary accommodation, which we call service accommodation. Now, if your house has a fire, typically how long does that take? When the builder says it's going to take a month, does it always take a month? It, it, it drags on and on. So the longest we had was about seven months. So every time you get a booking which is more than 90 days, it doesn't count towards the 90-day rule. And that is simply how you get around it. It's the insurance market, it's the relocation market, it's the corporate market. That's essentially what you need to tap into. So you, you get 90 days worth of bookings from Airbnb and Booking.com, and you get three of those bookings for the remainder of the year, and you're absolutely fine. Uh, you haven't breached any regulations, your, the planning class is correct, everything is absolutely fine, but the world of SA is a lot more than Airbnb and Booking.com. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is essentially how you get around 90 days. Love that. Uh, one, one of the um, strategies I've seen implemented within central London as well, uh, it might be kind of uh, what you use in your model, possibly Pippa as well, um, is actually knowing that you're going to make the profit on the business within that three months that you've got anyway, that you know is allowed, and then using and tapping into those other markets as well. So, uh, you know, anything additional is then a, a, a kind of bonus on what you've, uh, the structure you've agreed in terms of the rent to rent. So, uh, 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think so much we tap into when we talk about SA uh, service accommodation, it's booking.com, it's Airbnb, but actually it is so much more than that. And actually you want your business to be diversified in that, in that sense. I don't know, Pippa, you've got anything? I, I will say. give you this as well. I would say exactly the same. Um, as we've built our business over the last year and a half, um, we've really been testing uh, and learning the market. Uh, that's how we've seen this as we've now got to eight properties. Um, but there are eight properties in Chelsea and Mayfair. So they're all between two to six million in value uh, if they were on the market today. And it's about that balance. It's about that mix. You know, out of our eight, two are actually seven, on seven month and five month lets. And that's the, both of those are relocation. They are wealthy families relocating to London, visiting family, and they want to stay in a home. And we have beautiful homes that they can stay in. And it's about that mix. And it's so much easier for us as well. We love those guests. Uh, and we will go above and beyond to make sure the apartment or the property is perfect for them because it's so much easier for us. So we love that market and we want more of it. So Great. We've come to the same conclusion. There we go. Um, Adoy, Steve. Okay, so and how do you price for that market? <laughs> well, you negotiate down from your short stay mm-hmm. position um, and you normally find, well, I can only speak specifically for the market we're operating in, which is high net worth individuals or families and their budgets are usually good. So it's not normally a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's a discount for staying longer, but they're not. But they're, they, want, they want that home. They fall in love with it. They say, oh, if I was coming to London for longer, I'd just buy it, but I'm not. So <laughs> I'm just, you know, I want this one. Uh, and so that, that's what we're finding. And, and as I say, but they're great guests. What I meant is, uh, do you go on Airbnb where it gives an indication and uh, then do you use a multiplier of that or do you no, just um, uh, we'll, sort of use your own criteria? <laughs> um, well, we have a benchmark. Well, we do benchmarking, but less so with Airbnb because um, we don't use that platform so much. Um, it's, there's other luxury platforms like the Plum Guide, um, a particular one of our favorites. Um, and so we've benchmarked, but just with them, or with luxury retreats, um, exactly the same. But luxury retreat starts from seven hundred and fifty dollars a night for a one bed. So um, you're okay. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, and so yeah, it's benchmarking exactly the same way. Um, and you also then you have your bottom line, which is okay. If this was a long let, and had a manager, you know, an agent in place, what would be the, that position? And then we find we find a place that fits for that guest and for their stay requirements mm. and our client because we only manage we don't do rent to rent yet we just manage um, and so we find what works for everyone mm. and it's a negotiation but as I said it's um, when yeah there's usually a healthy budget there to work with love it um, I like. Well, I was going to say, Stephen probably has got a lot on it, but he's giving me a, one of those faces. <laughs> just a normal face. <laughs> no, I mean, outside of London, you just check with a local council. <clears throat> just send them a, an email asking um, whether you need a change of use or anything like that. And then 
you get a right. response back. Yeah, get it in writing and then just stick to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, hello. Uh, so, um, our, you asking about our particular experience with it all, especially outside of London. So, our experience has been so far, and Stephen can correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I'm not in the day to day anymore. Um, is that essentially when I've written, uh, when I started the business, uh, we have uh, our very first single let became our first essay, taking us from £200 per count a month as a buy to let, single buy to let to over £1,000 net cash flow profit. Uh, you know, the revenue was much higher. The, um, I essentially wrote to the, the planning officer. Well, actually, um, probably if I remember this correctly, uh, <laughs> um, they wrote to me. Uh, <laughs> hey, leverage, right? Wait for them to come to you. Um, and essentially, I let them know what the property was for. I said, uh, are you going to require me? Because essentially, I tested it for three months. So I wasn't going to do a use uh, class change for three months. And if he said it wasn't possible or I needed a use change class, fine. But I wanted to test it for three months. So that's... That was kind of my reasoning. And he happened to write to me at the end of the three months. Um, so as I say, uh, we explained what it was used for. Uh, most of the people who we'd had in there were for more than one night at a time. It was more like a week uh, to six weeks. Um, at that time, we've had stays way longer than that now. Um, and he said, the only requirements I have is that it's uh, not more than six people uh, at the time we were advertising it for 10 people. So um, we just changed that, uh, simple as that, to change the bed structures around. And um, he was happy. Got that in writing. That is, uh, I think a couple of people mentioned that. Get it in writing, uh, that you don't need to change the use class. Uh, and I think we've had that with every single property we've taken on since, uh, every single uh, borough or district or council that we've had to deal with since. So get it in writing. Uh, and we've not had to change the use class on any of them, have we? So that's, that's, yeah. that's our experience. So, uh, fantastic. Uh, and you were talking about as well how you kind of manage that fee in terms of maybe a single night up to then these long-term tenants. Uh, well, my spreadsheet king uh, <laughs> obviously works that all out as well. But it's having a, essentially it's what Pip said, having a baseline, what are your costs uh, and what does that reduce by if they're staying long-term? Um, sometimes we negotiate with them if they don't need a clean all the time because, hey, unless you have a cleaner normally at home, then maybe you're not used to... Uh, our market is a very niche market. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's why I just wondered, because normally you can go on Airbnb or some other yeah. and work on a benchmark. Well, the... In, in, yeah, I'd the interesting say, thing you talk about benchmarks. Yeah, I mean, I'd say um, use that for research, but don't don't compete on price. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, compete, don't compete. compete on service and then charge more. There we go. Compete. Well, I think that's a great uh, uh, advocate for any business, isn't it? Don't compete on price. Compete on value and the service that you provide. Uh, and actually, we were one of the first people. Oh, sorry. I will come uh, to you in just a moment. Uh, we were actually probably one, one of the first people to raise uh, the prices across our essays because we kind of go down the whole A12 corridor. Um, and uh, everyone suddenly went, oh, if that's how much you can get. And everyone seemed to sort of raise their prices with us. So, um, you know, that's we did the same for HMO well. rooms in. in uh, so I live up north, up in New York and the back of YPN. I don't know if it still does, but um, would anyone see my mug in YPN this month? <laughs> um, it said like York, £350 a month, I think was the average. We pushed it up to like 550 So take, I always teach, um, Best case, worst case, expected case. So what, you know, what's your worst case going to be? What's your best case? And Tom, one of my joint venture partners, is here tonight. So he'll know about this from the spreadsheet. Um, it takes the stress off you or if you're working with an investor. Either I'm, I'm scared of under-delivering, so I'm going to, you know, am I saying this right? I'm scared of under-delivering, so I'm going to make the ret returns look really bad. But then Tom's not going to want to invest. And it's not really a fair reflection of it. 
I'm being really pessimistic on the numbers so he doesn't get disappointed. Or I'm going to overcook it being an optimist and then he's going to be upset. So having best case, worst case, expected case enables you to chill out, enjoy the process, and then your joint venture partner or investor or you or your partner, you know, can get on board and you can make a, like an adult decision, um, you know, on investing. And it'll come out as it's expected. Or... It did, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Here we go. Sorry, Ahmed, you wanted to add something there? Uh, I was just going to answer the pricing question, which is uh, we actually charge more money for the longer guests, uh, sorry, the longer stays as opposed to the shorter stays. Two, two main reasons. One is, um, what is what is the alternative? Because if the guy who was there for three months, you can't get an AST because it's minimum six months, so he has to stay in a hotel. And a hotel is typically a lot more expensive anyway. So one is a case of there's no real alternative, and second, because I'm direct into insurance companies and direct into corporates, it's normally something like Oracle paying as opposed to a family paying. And they're less fussy about price compared to a family. So the, the budgets are typically a lot more. The insurance company doesn't really care as much, whereas obviously a group of a small family will try to get the best price. So it's a case of if you're direct to the company, uh, you know, like a million-dollar company, so it's not too much of an issue. And there's no alternative. So that's why I actually charge more for the longer-term people as opposed to the shorter stays. Fantastic, love that piece of advice. Uh, great stuff, uh, I think there's some loads of questions going on. Yes, gentlemen with the hat on there. Imran, I've got a question for Armin. Um, how do you acquire your, your uh, properties? Uh, so I get oh. all of mine. Uh, so the question to Ahmed is, how does he acquire his properties? <laughs> okay, so I get all of mine through a letting agent, uh, purely because if you get one letting agent on board, you now have a whole pool of properties. Whereas uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with going direct to landlord, but you have to repeat the exercise again and again. Whereas if you're through with an agent, you simply have to do it once and they will keep sending you more and more stuff because you're through with them. So I, I do agents purely because it's a lot more time efficient. Right, and how do you phrase it to the agent? Oh, so he wants, okay. to, wants to know the tactics. How do we phrase it to agents to get letting agents on board? Okay, so... Or how, how has Ahmed done it? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that because... They're in the letting field and they are quote unquote the expert. If you say something which they don't understand, they're going to assume you're the one who's wrong. So for example, agents typically, especially outside of London, they don't understand what service accommodation means. It's a fairly new thing, they don't get it. And therefore, if you say service accommodation, they think you're the one who's trying to pull something here. So they understand things like corporate letting, short stay accommodation, etc., etc. So it's a case of getting the correct wording which they understand. If you say anything which you know they don't understand, they think you're doing something new which they don't understand and they won't buy into it. So it's really a case of how you phrase it so they buy into the idea and make it simple for them to understand. Okay, keep it simple. Yeah, fantastic. Any other questions got going on? I'm making sure I'm not missing anyone over here. Yes, Madala, what's your name? Uh, Priya. Priya, excellent. And who's your question for? Um, it depends <laughs> Okay, uh, so the question is, what's the best piece of advice for those maybe still in a job, uh, know a lot about their industry that could be related to property, for example, uh, but haven't yet made that transition? Where would you start mentoring books? Great, but where maybe where did you all start? Yeah, so um, for, for me, it was joining a mastermind um, and the mastermind um, made, held me accountable. So... Um, so within the mastermind, I knew that I wanted to uh, leave my job and focus on businesses. And they then said, okay, by what date? 
and therefore I've got a date that I'm working towards. So the mastermind, as well as great knowledge that you're getting from it and, and advice and tips to, to grow the business, it holds you accountable to the dates that you're, that you're working for. So yeah, that. It's interesting you brought that up because as much as we were a part of the mastermind, I'm now a mentor on that mastermind. Uh, it's reincarnation of it anyway. So yes. I'll put that in my show notes, my darling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it doesn't stop when you're out of the job now. I mean, we're still, between us, we're still in four different masterminds Yeah. Um, because we, we, it's, it's all about learning and growth continually. I, I'd, I'd second that. I mean, um, interesting thing was, and I mentioned to a few people here um, already that I started my education in property uh, kind of on a bit of a, um, a whim, really. Uh, I was disappointed in my job. I wanted out um, yesterday <laughs> at that point, and I was looking for something else. I just didn't know what that other thing was. Um, and I think uh, sometimes opportunities just kind of come in front of you. Knowing what I know now, I may not have started with that particular company that I did some training with in property in particular. I know a few of you may uh, know them. I'm not going to name names. Um, but one of the things I have done now, um, I am a, a trainer and a speaker with Progressive and with uh, Unlimited Success. Uh, and there's a reason I'm there five years on. So um, I would highly advocate them. Obviously, this is a Progressive Property Network as well. Um, but for me, the biggest thing kind of talking about masterminds, it's the community. So like all of you now are part of a really big community that Pippa's kind of put together here. Um, so really tap into that, tap into communities, tap into the people who are doing what you want to do. Like that's the key thing as well with the masterminds that we're still part of and where we started. It was the people that were doing the things that we wanted to do, living the lifestyles that we wanted. Um, and I think that's the key thing because it's all well and good what they're telling you, but are they doing it? Are they living it? Are they still part of it as well? So I think that's key as well. I don't know if Alex and Ahmed have probably got something to add to that as well. Um, I think with a lot of people who I meet who are sort of new to property, uh, they jump into it, then they realize there's so many different things you can do, you know, whether it's HMOs or service accommodation, buy to let, and they all work. Just have to find what's right for you. Uh, so my advice is you first um, go to as many events as possible, read as much as possible, and get little information on all those different things, work out the thing you want to do, and then find someone who's doing it and learn from them. So, you know, because what happens a lot of times is you think, uh, oh, buy to less is right for me. So you spend a whole bunch of money on education, and then you realize, well, it's actually not right for me. Um, so first find out as much as you can about all the different strategies, and then if you like something, do that one. So if you like HMOs, speak to Alex. I hope my check's in the post. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true though. It's because, because, you know, if someone's already done it, they can show you much, much faster how to get there. Yeah. Um, so first work out what you're going to do and then find someone who's done it and just copy and paste what they've done. Because it's like whatever I've done in service accommodation or what Alex has done with HMOs, uh, I think it'd be fair to say we haven't created it. We've simply learned a system, put our, not spin on it, but, you know, adapted it slightly and just... We've just repeated it enough times. So if you copied what Alex was doing, it's you just get there a lot, lot faster. I, I just want to add one thing before Al jumps in as well. Um, so one of the events that I wish I'd been to before spending about 25 grand, um, 
yep, uh, was one of those people, uh, <laughs> um, is actually go to an event where you can learn all the strategies. So I'm sure Pippa can uh, potentially uh, get you some tickets to uh, one of the events that Progressive hold in property, which is the Multiple Streams of Property Income event. Uh, probably some of you in the room have probably done it. Uh, and what I loved about that, which I didn't get from the other company, was the chance to experience uh, all the different uh, income stream, all the different property strategies or models um, before parting with cash and actually a lot less than 25 grand. So, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's very easy to think you, you go do lease options and the next week you hear about something else and you run off and then start doing that one. And then before you know it, you're trying to do 10 strategies. You're not going to get anywhere doing any of them. So spend the time looking at the different options, get clear on what you want to achieve. If it's a big lump of money you want, so you can buy your dream home or something, you know, go and do a development strategy. If it's passive income, freedom, um, you know, there's a different strategy for that. And pick someone who's a specialist in that area. So, um, you know, I've bashed out dozens of HMO deals. I've done a number of commercial deals, but I wouldn't call myself an expert in that. Yes, uh, you know, I was able to help Pippa with, with her big, uh, not big, her, her healthy-sized commercial, <laughs> commercial deal. Um, but I haven't done it hundreds of times. So, you know, if you came to me with commercial, I, I wouldn't be the best person to help you with that. And check that they've got a track record and check that they actually really care about you. And um, just do what you're told. <laughs> That's it. And we've got time for a couple more questions, then we're going to wrap it up. Is that? Yep. Yeah, all good. OK, so a couple more questions. Who's got burning question? Yeah, oh, I can see that hand go straight up. What's the name, sir? Uh, Matt. Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Great stuff. So, quick. Stephen as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, so, the question is uh, about capital allowances, specifically for SAs, uh, how they work if you're buying, but also how they might work if you're rent to renting. Yep. Over to you guys. Pretty much, speak to a capital allowance surveyor, um, probably before you do the work as well, because they'll be able to tell you exactly what you can claim and be able to maximise the claim. If you, if you do the work and try and do it yourself, you're, you're not going to claim as much. Um, so my advice would be to do that. Um, possibly speak to your accountant as well. And for the rent to rent, it, um, it's different because you're renting it and therefore you're not managing it as an SA. So they can't. So you'd need to manage it as an SA on their behalf for them to be able to claim it. So, so it could be a, a, a great strategy in terms of if you are ever dealing with direct landlords to help them claim capital allowances um, to go against their um, income and things. Oh, and Pippa wants in. I, um, I have a capital allowance specialist who I've used Ooh. on my commercial scheme, but then we're also talking about SA at the moment. Um, he comes to our event. He's not here tonight, Usman, but he comes here regularly and Lee knows him well, I think. Um, and so I would recommend just having a chat with him. Great. Um, so we'll put, come and find me. So anyone wanting to know more about capital allowances, go and speak with Pippa uh, if you're on the podcast. Um, we'll get you in touch with Pippa. <laughs> Feel good. Ahmed, do you want to add anything to that? Um, no, uh, not particularly. I, I do rent to SA, so I've never actually claimed capital allowances, so I don't want to give the wrong advice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know too much about capital allowances uh, because I've never had to claim them. But what I do know is you should speak to a specialist um, and they will set the whole thing up for you. And, and the percentage seems to be around 35%. Um, but, but I don't want to give the wrong advice, so. 
No, so, uh, I think the, the advice there is leverage to a specialist, uh, for sure. Uh, great. Uh, one final question, and I'm going to wrap things up as well. Yes, sir. What is your name? Who's your question Diego. for? Diego. Good stuff. Mm, okay. So the question is, when you're scaling your SA business or potentially a business that's going to attract VAT, uh, how do you deal with that as you're scaling? Uh, Mr. Accountant, do you want that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll tell you exactly how we dealt with it um, when we were doing, when we were growing in Chelmsford on the rent to rent model. Um, I knew that we were going to hit the VAT threshold. Um, I delayed it to the beginning of the financial year in April, but then I purposely increased the prices in De um, in December by ten percent, and then by ten percent again in April, and therefore I don't need to increase it for the VAT. So I'm, I'm already getting the same amount without having to do an instant 20% hike. So, that makes so, sense. so gradually, so know when you're going to cross the threshold and then start increasing your prices ready for that, but at the same time start increasing your services as well. So we, we offer our, all our guests a standard kind of local gym health club membership. Um, you've got 24-7 uh, hotline. And it's the additional services that, that um, clarify kind of and... Uh, on the reason for why you charge more than other people in your area. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the key things there, so yeah, effectively uh, what Stephen and we did in our business um, is take the amount up. One of the uh, a key piece of information for any businesses is as well, um, if you are to increase or thinking about increasing your prices, maybe you haven't done for a while, maybe you've never done it, um, is that most people can take a 10% increase in price. Um, so actually recently our cleaners, our personal cleaners in the new financial year decided to put their uh, price up by 10%. Well, that was a pound an hour. We can swallow that. We can deal with that. And most customers will be able to swallow a 10% increase at a time, which is why we didn't do the full 20% in one go. So again, know where you're coming to within your business because, you know, this isn't just SA businesses is going to apply to. Uh, but if you're coming up to a threshold where you're going to have to, uh, you know, it's either going to eat into your profits or your bottom line, or can you pass that on to your customers, um, but actually not in one big hit or something like that. Um, I'd, um, I'd also advise closing your eyes every quarter for when that VAT payment goes out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay, that moment. Uh, Ahmed? Uh, so... Three, three main ways. Uh, one is, I can't see who asked the question. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, three ways. Uh, a lot of people, they choose not to do rent to rent and they do management because you only get this small chunk of your money as opposed to the full revenue. So what that does is if you have a threshold, it takes a lot, lot longer to get to the threshold. So that's one thing. Um, I mainly specialize in the corporate bookings, the insurance bookings. And they don't care about VAT because it's, it's B2B as opposed to B2C and they just pass it on sort of thing. Um, finally, I had one more. Okay, I'm not going to say controversial, but uh, you can sign up to something like the Tom scheme if your accountant <laughs> approves it. And I, I know a lot of people where HMRC have also approved the Tom scheme. It's, it's kind of long to explain right now, but if you Google TOMS scheme, a lot of people are on there and that significantly helps. Lovely. Can I just say one thing? Please. So obviously, it's a lot of like service accommodation chat in central London, which is really exciting. And service accommodation is like the hot topic, I think, isn't it? With like kind of everyone um, kind of getting involved in it. It's new and things are changing and it's, it's really exciting. So some, a lot of people make money doing one strategy and then park it in a purchase strategy. 
Other people prefer to go for a purchasing strategy kind of straight away. And the benefit you guys have got in London is that if you, you know, some people I work with invest in London, do HMOs in London, and then that works nicely. Or if you find money, even if you don't believe you can, I promise you, you can raise, raise cash. It's really a very simple process to take you through on, on raising cash. The so nods of approval. Um, you take it outside London, that buys you like streets. Um, so, <laughs> like you can, Clean up isn't a really very technical terminology, but you can, you can build and scale very quickly. Uh, even if you're not managing that property, even, you know, even if you don't live there, you just take the money that you find, you, like I did with Tom, you know, he's got, uh, he lives in London, he, he gets a fantastic return. I could have lived in London and just be traveling up north to do it. Um, he's got a far higher return than he could ever get by himself. He doesn't have the time, the expression I use is time, desire or expertise. He doesn't have the time desire expertise to do what I do. So if you guys take that cash up there, you can you know, be generating him 15, 20, 25, 30% plus net returns on that money. Um, so you, it's a kind of a real no-brainer for, for um, people. So I know HMOs aren't like the sexy strategy <laughs> right now, uh, but I think that's a good thing. It's like um, you know, an established market that's been going for ages and um, you can scale up and leverage very, very quickly. Sorry, mate. Which, Which where, where in the Can't north? Can't tell you. That. <laughs> no, uh, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Yeah. Yorkshire. Yeah, and then people get obsessed with all. Oh, where are you? And then people started rocking up on my turf when. <laughs> <laughs> Your turf, love it. You know, we won a few um, like progressive investor of the year award and stuff. And then people were then running along and so oh, and they were. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they thought it was the location that was, you know, it's not. It's the things I'm doing that. So. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, even if you're in London, I always teach to start comparing deals in your area because you can make HMOs here. Talking to Jehon, uh, sorry, African, South African, um, Dutch name, um, Jerome, there you go. Um, you know, HMOs work in London and they, you know, work outside London too. So um, there we go. Perfect. Okay, uh, so I just want to wrap things up. Uh, thank you for all your questions. They have been uh, very excellent. As I say, this wasn't necessarily meant to be the essay uh, mastermind here, but um, uh, so yeah, really, I suppose what I want you to take from anything, any of the examples that Alex or Stephen or Ahmet has given or I've given is how do you apply them to your business? How do you want to scale your business? How do you want to create, uh, hopefully, I think is the way to go, a, a leveraged lifestyle. Uh, because I think one of the things is we all get into business maybe to make money, but actually what we find is what we want at the end is a lifestyle. We want time freedom, we want choice. Uh, and I think sometimes when we're slaving away in the business, we uh, can forget all about that. And then suddenly it's like, why did I start this? I've just become my own employee. Uh, so one of the things I'd love to invite you all, so whether you're live in the room or listening back on the podcast, is to come and spend uh, two days. Uh, it's a Saturday, Sunday and leverage your time. Uh, the the uh, website is up on the screen for those live in the room, uh, but the website to go and secure tickets to our Leverage Lifestyle Summit. So it's two days live. Myself and Stephen are hosting, giving additional content on a lot of the areas that you've been asking questions about and that we've been talking about this evening. Uh, we have secured uh, uh, Alex Zebatowski as well as one of our keynotes. And uh, if any of you have heard of uh, Robert Oh, I said Robert, Rob Moore, uh, <laughs> he is the author of Life Leverage. Uh, my inspiration really to start this podcast as well. Uh, he's doing a keynote there as well. We're very excited. We've got some fantastic speakers lined up for you. Um, so what I'm doing is giving you, uh, as 
live audience members as members uh, and listeners of the Leverage Lifestyle podcast is access to the summit and get your early bird tickets complimentary on us. These usually sell and have already sold um, to members of our uh, mastermind as well. They've paid uh, to get into the mastermind and then become uh, get tickets to summit at 497 plus VAT. These are your tickets for free to the two-day summit uh, at Lifestyle, so leveraged with a D, lifestyle.co.uk forward slash podcast. Just enter your details there and our team will be in contact with you uh, in the next week or two uh, just to confirm your tickets. And um, yeah, uh, just my gift to you basically. And say Pippa has allowed us to do that for you all. So we're very excited uh, that you can be part of that. And like I said, as I mentioned, if you haven't already subscribed or you have subscribed and you're in the room, uh, you're going to get our free download as well. Go and chat to the team at the end. But let me just round up with the final question to our panel. Have the panel been fantastic? Yes. Excellent. Good stuff. That's a resounding yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I just want to finish up with what's next for you and your business. And if people want to find out more about you and what you do, uh, the the places to come and find you. Um, so, Ahmed, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, um, because I've always only done rent to SA, I've never bought before. So, the next thing for me is actually buying property. Uh, and once I've bought a few, I'll probably move into like a small development and go from there. So, one step at a time. Uh, to find me, you can go to my website, ahmedkhan.co. It's not .com or .co.uk. It's simply .co because the other domain was too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Common name, right? Common there we name. go. Um, so yeah, I'm with Con.co or you can add me on Facebook. Fantastic. Stephen? Um, what's next for us in business uh, on the service accommodation side is to switch all our rent to rent to owned across the, the whole portfolio. We're also moving into um, new areas um, uh, as we expand our management. So we're taking over the southeast pretty much. <laughs> um, and for our other businesses, it's just um, expanding those to create our freedom um, vision secured by three separate businesses. Um, so yeah, that's what's next for us. Uh, if you want to find me or to find some top tips, I give out a blog of three top tips every week. Um, just go to turnerinvest.co.uk. Um, all the blogs are on there. You can subscribe. And if you want to find me, type my name into Facebook and you can see me. Stephen with a PH. Or go to the Life Leverage online community yeah and you'll be able to pick me out there as i've again got a common name <laughs> yes i definitely Excellent. don't uh you definitely don't you might have to spell yours that's fine uh so what's next for me so um some of you i know some of you come said you watched it but i did a, a ted talk a couple of years ago called design your dream life through passive income and that was really what uh, 2.4 million people have watched it now um, in the last like, two years and it blew me away that actually this isn't about me now this is about you know Kevin Spacey's new, you can't really use his name anymore but he's got this expression like if you get lucky enough to find the elevator or something it's your responsibility to send it back down so um, there's nothing special about anyone who's achieved in, in property like they've just done a process and got certain results so my mission now is uh, you know, enabling others to design your dream life through passive income. So money means nothing, and having a little bit of passive income coming in every month enables you to, you know, spend more time with the family, travel, do what really matters to you, um, and that really like that motivates me. My intention was to um, stay in in Bali, where I've been the last few months. But actually, I got so connected to my mission, I didn't want to. You know, I'll probably do that over Christmas time. But I want to be growing and building and, and training this stuff with more people. So that's next for me. 
And where can we find more about you? Oh, good question. So uh, <laughs> the Property, uh, propertycoachingacademy.com. So www.propertycoachingacademy.com. Uh, you might see Pippa's lovely testimonial up there. <laughs> um, yeah, and if I can help in any way, whether that's you know property-based or just anything, then it would be my absolute pleasure to, um, to help. Fantastic. Uh, and finally, if you want to find out more about what I'm particularly up to outside of Turner Invest, um, Catherine A. Turner, Catherine C. Uh, com. Yeah, I had to get the A in there because, yeah, Catherine Turner then became a really common name, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so CatherineAturner.com. And uh, as I say, come and join in the Leveraged Lifestyle community on Facebook. Uh, we've got basically uh, hundreds of people in there now that we're helping uh, create the ultimate leveraged lifestyle. That's exactly what the podcast is all for. That's what I'm speaking about more and more now, because for me, uh, kind of just like Alex was saying, you know, the money's great. The recurring income is great. It's about what's next. What can we do with that? How can we help other people find that? Because I completely agree. Uh, I feel like it's paying it forward. I love that film. I think Kevin Spacey was in that as well. Weird. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's about paying it forward. Um, I didn't know this was possible. Uh, Stephen talked about, you know, business and finance education being in schools. Well, it's not, is it? Uh, how can we pay this forward? If you've now been given this gift by someone else, how can you pay it forward? How can you uh, give this gift on to someone else, uh, whether that's through your time, your knowledge, your experience? Uh, and I think we all owe it to uh, each other, to um, really the legacy, I think, for us now, uh, for me and Stephen as well, is, you know, our children, how can we pass that on? How can we create a world that actually we want to bring them up in? Um, and I think that is the whole bigger piece of it all. So I really want to say thank you to the live audience um, for being here. Uh, thank you uh, for being listeners to uh, Leverage Lifestyle. And uh, as I say, my, my mantra is there is no better time than now to start creating your Leverage Lifestyle. Thank you very much, everyone. So just quickly before you go, I really hoped you enjoyed that episode of Leverage Lifestyle. I really enjoyed recording it and I have something extra on offer for you all. The document that I offered to the live audience, I'm also going to make available to all of you listeners. All you have to do is share the link to this podcast, however you listen on iTunes, Stitcher or your favourite podcast app, possibly with a, a little note about why you think people should listen as well to all your followers, maybe on Facebook or your other social media accounts and share a quick screenshot of that on a special thread that is going to be going on in the Leverage Lifestyle online community and we will get that document straight to you. To access the online community, just go to bit.ly forward slash LLOCFB group and you'll be added into the community. And remember to get on that early bird list to access tickets to our once a year Leveraged Lifestyle Summit. All you need to do is go to www.leveragedlifestyle.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you're going to hear firsthand how you can create time, location and financial freedom. And I look forward to meeting you in person. 